All you have to do is turn it on on Saturday, and we got you, fucker. I can't wait. Turn it on on Saturday, streamers, and see what happens. Hello, 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 everybody. How are we doing? Your favorite podcast, maybe your least favorite podcast is back. I don't know. I don't look at numbers. It's me. It's Joe. It's the MMA Frequency. Last weekend, we had UFC 292, which was Aljamain Sterling versus Sean O'Malley. I'll get into that later. There was a good PFL card, well, a couple of good PFL fights, and then at local Singapore time, so I'm not getting up for that shit, uh, Max Holloway versus the Korean Zombie this weekend. So, 292 was kind of boring, but there were good fights, there were interesting fights. The Ultimate Fighter, <laughs> this season, The Ultimate Fighter seemed incredibly cursed, but uh, the Bantamweight and Lightweight Finals or on this card, Brad Katona and Kobe, Kobe, whatever his name is, Gibson, just just beat each other up for 15 rounds, so that was pretty fun. I, you know, we like the violence on this podcast. We, we like the violence. Oh, yes, we do. We like violence. How about you? But it really is just classic UFC mumbo-jumbo that Brad Katona won the Ultimate Fighter and then lost to Marab and some other guy and immediately got cut. Has now won a second season of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, so silly, so silly, but that was a fun fight. I didn't even really feel the need to break it down for you because it's it's exactly what it says on the tin. Two guys laid into each other for 15 minutes. There was Kurt Holabaugh versus Austin Hubbard. Kind of boring, but there was a finish. Uh, Holabaugh pulled off an absolutely beautiful triangle submission from Mount. So Austin, Austin Hubbard tried to like roll over and roll out of the mount. And Hullabaugh grabbed the arm bar and he grabbed his arm so he kept them attached. And so when Hubbard finished his roll, he landed in guard and Hullabaugh immediately just cinched on a triangle. It was beautiful. Very, very pretty, pretty triangle. We love to see it. We love to see like a uh, chain grappling. That's fun. Really, really cool. Uh, Robocop absolutely embarrassed some bum Dennis to... I'm not even going to pronounce the last name, but Gregory Rodriguez body locked him, took him to the ground within a minute, took his back, and just absolutely drilled him with some questionably legal elbows to the back of the head, or well, to the head. The first one was maybe potentially right on the back of the head, and uh, the ref stepped in, stopped the fight. Should have been, the uh, Robocop was in the first round. Rip. This guy, uh, Dennis, sucked, but... Yeah, beautiful, beautiful ground and pound. Really, really ferocious. Guy had given up. The featured prelim, boring as sin, is Chris Weidman versus Brad Tavares. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to call off this whole thing on on Weidman. He looks, he looks completely cooked. I think it's time we call the whole thing off. He was not striking well at all. He was throwing really lazy takedown attempts from halfway across the octagon and couldn't get Tavares down. The only time he got Tavares down was after uh, he hit him with a kick to the balls. So, impressive, I guess. Good grappling fundamentals on display by Weidman. And this Weidman was not really impressing me either. Sorry, Tavares was not really impressing me either. He displayed some functional fight IQ. He peppered him with a couple of long one-twos and laid in on Weidman's leg. Just kind of destroyed it with the kick. So that was at least, like intelligent things were happening in that fight not many intelligent things but 
Brad Tavares won by a clear margin. Chris Weidman is almost 40 and just had to take two years off to completely and utterly surgically reconstruct his leg. I I think we can call off the whole enterprise, but apparently Dana White is like begging to have him come back and just absolutely blowing smoke up his ass in all the uh, press conferences and whatever. So we might have to see this. <laughs> we might have to see this poor old man get executed. I mean, this is Brad Tavares is is not a finisher at all. So this was like a very safe opponent for him, even though he lost embarrassingly. He did not get blown up. Ugh. The main card. This uh, Cheeto Cheeto Vera versus Pedro Munoz, Cheeto, uh, sponsored boy of this podcast. We know this. It was really interesting because not a lot happened. Both dudes are super defensively sound. So there was a lot of empty volume getting traded back and forth, and nothing really happening. But about halfway through the fight, Cheeto finally found the jab. He was throwing the jab, but he like found the landing on Pedro Munoz. Got some damages in round three, and pretty much that just swung the decision. Not much to say here. Really good performance by Cheeto. At one point, he actually didn't just double up on the jab. He tripled up on the jab and hurt Pedro three times. Yeah, in the third, in the third round, there was some action because the jab was connecting at will. It was interesting. I'll talk more about Cheeto at the end of the segment because... Uh, uh, the rainbow boy. Uh, Damon Blackshear versus Mario Batista. This was maybe the most interesting fight I watched on this card. Uh, both guys were really pushing the pace on the feet and in the grappling. Mario Batista adapted really quickly to Blackshear's grappling game plan. He kept mixing in these beautiful elbows every time they came together to discourage any prolonged clinching, and he would elbow him off the break. And that's Damon Blackshear was elbowing him too, but Batista's elbows I knew were more effective because every time he elbowed him on the break, Blackshear would take like three steps back and go, ooh, I'm not going to try that again for a little while. He also started mixing in his own wrestling, which was interesting. He didn't get a single takedown until the very end of the fight, but well, it was damn, it was in the third round. But it was it was mostly just to once again be like, get away from me. If I'm on your legs, you can't be on my legs, pretty much. And they were both making interesting reads, like Blackshear was throwing a bunch of body kicks, and when Batista started to catch them, Blackshear immediately double legged him. That was really, really pretty. Uh, towards the second round, you could tell that Mario was starting to outpace him. He was just throwing more volume, and his cardio was just holding up because Blackshear's hands were just getting a little bit lower, just a wee bit. He was breathing a little bit heavier. And Batista started to mix up his targets on the feet as well. He threw in bodywork to keep him breathing hard. He kept his grappling relevant. And yeah, with the volume in the third round, he finally just ran away with it, got on Blackshear's back, just rode out most of the round. It was it was really, really pretty. But I was also super impressed by Damon Blackshear. He had great underhooks. He, he got at least one every single time they were clinching, usually two. Great level changes, very present, aware of his positioning in the cage at all times. I thought it was a really, really impressive performance by him too. I'll put a little like... We'll put a little push pin in his name and just see what he does in the next fight. I mean, and I think the judges got it right, but it was very, very close, especially in the second round. 30-27, Batista is a nutter-butter scorecard. Nutter-butter scorecard. Speaking of guys with one leg, a deeply embarrassing performance by Neil Magny and by Ian Gary. 
because Ian Gary could not for the life of him finish a one-legged man. And the first calf kick Gary threw caught Magny while he was moving, and it dropped him. And from there, he was just, he just severely compromised after after that. And every single leg kick he continued to throw just kept accumulating damage on Neil Magny. He had no power, no speed in any of his kicks when he was trying to throw him. Like, he was messed up. And also could not get his wrestling going whatsoever. To be fair, it didn't help that Ian Carey was aggressively grabbing the fence and the top of the cage whenever the fight hit the wall. Just laying both hands over the top of the cage and holding on to give himself leverage against Magny. And thus he just also refused to go to the ground because that was Magny's whole game plan was to get him to the ground. But he started knocking him down more and more with leg kicks. So there would be these deeply awkward situations where Magny would aggressively be like butt scooting towards Ian Gary. Like, come on, bro. You're afraid to grapple with me, bro? That's not how fights work. You gotta, you gotta get him to the ground. And this, Ian Gary looked good. He looked sharp. But I was baffled. He never really tried to move into the pocket. He never threw more combinations. Or really do anything to push the pace for a finish. It wasn't like Neil Magny was doing stuff to like throw him off the scent. And that's Gary. Gary, he was circling. He was cutting off Magny's escapes. He was staying with him. He just didn't do anything. Ugh, God only knows. Uh, actually, hold on, circling back. Mario Batista was originally supposed to fight Cody Garbrandt. He would have murdered Cody Garbrandt. That kid is really, really sharp. Uh, another fight I don't really have much to say about because it was just a pure beatdown was Zhang Wei Li versus Amanda Lemos. Uh, Amanda got caught on one leg by Wei Li and got her leg kicked out from under her, and it was literally the fight just all downhill. It was just it was actually there actually was one pretty brilliant moment from Amanda. She got a tight, tight ninja choke on the bottom when when Whaley was inside control, and it looked threatening. It looked tight, but Whaley escaped it the first time, and then escaped it the second time when Amanda tried it, and it, it was just a masterclass. Uh, Whaley's ground in town was excellent. Top control was excellent. When Amanda went down, she stayed down for pretty much minutes and minutes and minutes at a time. Lemos was not getting back up. She was excellent at yeah, just like consolidating her positions and hitting her. And that's like the crucifix has kind of become like a signature maneuver for Whaley, especially when the girl she's fighting isn't technical enough to escape it. Like if if you let her work her way into the crucifix, she'll she'll go. Don't mind if I do. I'm gonna beat you up from here now. You're you're literally of no threat to me. Uh, the second round, I'd literally as soon as it started and they were back on the feet, Amanda just started lunging across the octagon and going for <laughs> the wildest of haymakers in an attempt to just pray but it it was it was all academic uh Whaley just kept taking her to the ground over and over and over again she set like a divisional strike record on Lemos she almost hit her 300 times honestly just just commendation to Amanda Lemos for not getting knocked out it's a hard hard head but to be fair Jack Slack said that Whaley keeps getting caught on one leg and when I was rewatching it, that was, like, the first thing I noticed, is that, like, every single time Amanda connected with her when they were on the feet, and they weren't on the feet for that long, it was always because Whaley was, like, trying to throw, like, a cheeky little kick at the end of a combination, and Amanda would just oh, lunge in and, and land something. But no, she's the queen, she's the best. Now that Nunez is 
retired. She's very easily the best woman they've got on that roster. And I feel like she's just going to keep buzzsawing through all these strawweight girls. <sighs> and now it's time for my act of contrition. And now it's my turn to do the apologizing. I demanded that all of you apologize to Alzheimer Sterling, but Sean O'Malley, I am sorry. I think people are being a little bit ridiculous, especially on Twitter, where it's like a lot of ruckus being made of, you know, nobody believed in him. Oh, everybody picked against him. I, I just think the UFC, after Aljo beat Henry Cejudo, they felt genuinely obligated to promote the guy. Like, you know, when you when you have that many title defenses, even against the guy you're poorly matched up with, you're going to be the betting favorite. You're going to get the TV time, yada, yada, yada. But, like, no, I was the guy. I was the guy counting out Sean O'Malley. <laughs> Not anybody on ESPN. It was me. It was me. I'm the problem. It's me. Uh, I'm actively not believing in him. But Alderman just doesn't have anything in his hands that can keep Sean away from him. He needed something, some kind of striking that would keep Sean either far away from him or to set up his entries. And he could not do that. If, if his hands were 20% more dangerous, maybe, but... He just didn't have it. And I even, I, I thought Al Jermaine's strategy was okay, but every every single entry he made was a nail-biter because one punch can end the fight. And he was very cognizant of that. He was moving with Sean. He was kicking at him, trying to let Sean go first so he could counter Sean. He actually did get some reactions on some leg kicks, but they weren't affecting Sean's stance switching or his footwork, so it wasn't, you know, maybe on a five-round time period, you know, five-round time scale, he could have done a cumulative damage, but Sean was out-fainting him, he was out-moving him. There were several moments in the first round where he just had him backed up against the cage with his footwork. So, yeah, I mean, Aljo should have just, in my opinion, just sold out on the wrestling because it's his only advantage he has over O'Malley. Just, just throw the takedown, 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 takedown chase the single leg, don't don't try to get him up against the cage, just try and jump on him in the in the center of the octagon. But in the second round, right after they separated again, Sean landed a neat little front kick on Aljo, and that's his classic move to get you following him. He threw a cheeky little front kick, and Aljamain chased, looked for a long, long, big left straight, and Sean was right there on the opposite side. He had He was an orthodox, and Aljo was throwing from southpaw, so just the whole shoulder was open. And whoop! Dropped him with a big right. And <laughs> listen, I'm, I I enjoyed Aljamain Sterling's title reign very much, but that was a fair, fair stoppage. He, he, looked, he looked cognizant enough on his back, but come on. It, it seemed pretty academic as to where things were going from there. Unfortunate. Now the epic Rick and Morty weed guy is champ. <sighs> and also, Alto's going to go up and lose to Max Holloway or something like that. <sighs> Send in Marab. Send in Marab. Send in Marab. That is, I mean, there, there's a killer's row in the top five of Bantamweight. And that's what I was like. Sean was calling out Cheeto. Everyone was like, Cheeto won the same card. Cheeto, Cheeto, Cheeto. And I think uh, Cheeto Vero would do really, really good. He might beat Sean again. It'd be an interesting fight, but... It is pretty clear that everybody in, in Sean's camp and all of Sean's fans, none have dared to whisper the name Marab Devalishvili. They're scared. Send in Marab. 
Avenge your boy, Morab. The PFL playoffs were Wednesday, I believe. And uh, the, the two lightweight uh, played like uh, finals matches were really, really good. It was Olivier Aubin Mercier versus Bruno Miranda and Clay Collard versus, versus Shane Burgos. And the OAM renaissance in PFL has been... I, I don't even have the... I don't have the, the right adjective for it. But the OAM renaissance has just been crazy to watch. He, he went from a very unceremonious UFC exit on a three-fight losing streak to winning, like, nine fights in two years. It was a southpaw orthodox setup, so OAM just had that leg kick on, on lock, automatic, just throwing it at him, staying at distance, using his footwork. So Miranda would blitz in and try and get him, and OAM's defense was really, really good. And Olivier was the southpaw. He was looking for a place to work out to land that big left hand. He swung it a couple times at Miranda in the first round and didn't get him. But really, really good defense. And then one bad blitz at the start of the second round, and wham, OAM cracked Miranda with that left hand, sent him down, and yeah, from there, incredible, incredibly like methodic and patient on the ground, got on top of him, spent the whole round working at him, peppering him with uh, ground, ground strikes, methodically passing his way into half guard, sometimes he'd get bounced back, and he just didn't mind it, just kept getting into half guard over and over and over again, finally moved his way into mount, and uh, literally, he knocked this guy down at like, the start of the round, and at the the last minute of the round, he finally had him mounted and landed enough damage to get the TKO. Excellent, excellent stuff. One of the only Canadians that I respect. OAM. In the main event, absolute banger, new banger alert, Clay Collard, new Clay Collard, because Clay was a little sloppy back in the day, but Clay Collard, new Clay Collard, is a terrifying, terrifying man. And honestly, that's like, it, it was a really, really fun fight, but the fight kind of would have, would have been a blowout if Shane Burgos wasn't so damn tough. He took, like, 200 head strikes or something like that. He did good work in the first round. He kept up with Clay on the feet, and he really compromised Clay's lead leg to the point where he was dropping him with leg kicks later in the fight. But the volume the volume from... Uh, I can't believe this white man is nicknamed Cassius Clay Collard. But the volume from Clay was just too much for him to handle... Picked his shots excellently. Head work, body work, flowed with combinations. Beautiful stuff. He dropped Burgos in the second round with a little straight to the body, hook to the body, hook to the head while Burgos' hands were down. Just just in- incredible work from Clay Collard. Probably would have thrown even more strikes if his lead leg wasn't so badly banged up. His head movement was also delightful. He was taking these big, like, looping movements to get out of the way of Burgos' straight punches. I would, I would have been so irritated if I was Shane Burgos trying to jab him straight at this guy, and he's just going like, whoop, whoop, whoop. You, you like that might have he might have literally been like making that noise with his mouth while he was while he was dodging the punches from Shane Burgos. So it is OAM versus Clay Collard. Smart money head says OAM, heart says Clay, baby, because OAM is. He literally just put out the, the the prototype in this fight of taking an aggressive guy who runs in and tries to overwhelm you with pressure and is just methodically dismantling him. He's also got the grappling, which he didn't really... He didn't show the grappling in the first round. He only showed the grappling once he knocked down Miranda. But that's another area where he might be able to give Clay Collard trouble. So, 
All I know is it's going to be a banger. It's going to be a fun, fun fight. And then the card that is... I got to get these out sooner because this card is happening in like less than like 12 hours because it's airing local time. Uh, Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung versus Max Holloway. Whew. Uh, I didn't I didn't put this in my notes, but there is some heavyweight trash. Uh, Waldo Cordes Acosta, who at some point I thought actually had the juice, but he clearly does not. He's fighting Lucas Breschke, who is one of these, uh, like... Yeah, exactly. He's 0-2 and won no contest in the UFC because he was doping for his contender series fight. And he lost to Martin Boudet and Carl Williams, who are technically like, they're like the, oh, we protect these heavyweights. Look at them. They're undefeated. Aren't they so good? But come on. Let's be real. Let's be real for a minute. But yeah, clearly they're trying to feed Waldo a win with uh, Breschke. Junior Taffa, oh, Junior Taffa is actually not on the prelims. He's the opener. He's only fighting the UFC. A loss to Mohamed Usman, and he's fighting Parker Porter, which once again, exactly one of those guys who like if you're trying to, if you if you're trying to set up a heavyweight to get a win, you want to get Parker Porter in there. Oh, okay. On to like kind of real fights. Uh, Talia Santos versus Aaron Blanchfield. Blanchfield's been on fire recently. She looks like she she looks like she has a juice. She looks like she's got all the stuff. I I rate Talia Santos vastly less than I do Aaron Blanchfield. And Blanchfield has definitely definitely fought better opponents than Santos and also been on a finishing streak of all of her last opponents. Blanchfield is the better wrestler, better grappler, and a very aggressive wrestler and grappler at that. So I expect her to go for the takedown first, push the pace. Talia Santos should try to work on defending those takedowns and maybe praying to whatever de- deity she, she prefers to pray to. That, that would help. Uh, speaking of all the horrible heavyweight stuff, here's a heavyweight level... Ma- okay, that's a little mean. It's not a heavyweight level matchmaking, but it's a pretty clear feeding. Rinya Nakamura versus Fernie Garcia. Nakamura is definitely legit. He flatlined the guy he faced in the Road to UFC bantamweight final in less than a minute. But yeah, th- this feels like this guy's being set up to fail. Garcia did drop Brady Heastand with a mean uppercut in their fight, but he's 1-2 and two in his UFC career, and honestly, I shouldn't even count Contender Series wins in, in Contender Series people's resumes, especially if they're on a, street, on a losing streak like this. If Garcia can stay on the outside and take advantage of Nakamura's recklessness, he might be able to score a big counter, because Nakamura was, like, I think he knew that he had it. He knew that he had this guy bagged, so he just ran at him like a madman and just swung like a crazy person in the tournament final. He might he might actually be a little more calm now that it's, he actually might be less calm because it's his first official UFC fight. So I can I can see like him wanting to set up a big impression just like in the tournament final, but uh, the pace and pressure from that guy is ferocious. And I think he might be having a quick night at the office. This is the most relevant fight on the card. Is it Giga Chikatse versus Alex Caceres? Definitely going to be really, really fun. And good to see Giga Chikatse back. I think he was supposed to fight Ortega or somebody last fall. And he pulled out for some reason. But Alex Caceres, he's fun. He's a Charles Oliveira type of guy. He's been around the UFC forever. Taking his lumps, wins and losses. And definitely upgraded his game over time while he's been in the UFC. Giga is a ferocious kickboxer. 
He's got that disgusting, nasty body kick. Nasty, nasty, nasty body kick. But he's coming off of a five-round loss to Calvin Cater. And Cater's big keys to win were the, the wrestling and the pressure, which Casares might be able to pull off. There's grappling all over the octagon in his last fight, and he looked really, really good doing it. So that's an option for him. But he's also not a huge pressure guy, which the absolute last thing you want to do is get into a kickboxing battle with Giga Chikase, because he will just stay on the outside, and he will pick you apart at range. But that fight's going to be really, really interesting, really uh, relevant for the bantamweight rankings as well. The Komen event is like, what are we doing here? The UFC, Anthony Smith versus Ryan Spann. And the UFC just refuses to get rid of Anthony Smith, even though he's he's not a bum. He's like an, he's like an, he's like an AP bum. He's an advanced placement bum. And for some reason, they just adore the guy. They can't get enough of Anthony Smith in the UFC. They're also, for some reason, rebooking a fight that happened less than two years ago. It was a main event. We... That ESPN deal going crazy right now. <laughs> Rebooking a random light heavyweight main event from less than two years ago. But uh, Ryan Span is the canniest can that they have in that light heavyweight top ten. It's not exactly a very elite division anyway. Because Anthony Smith, they need him to pick up a win after he was out-technicianed by, by Irish Johnny Walker. So he, they need to get him back in the win category to justify him keep him staying around for some reason. Span did have a great knockout over Dominic Reyes, but immediately got tooled up by Nikita Krylov after that. He is... I don't see any reason for it to not be a rerun of the first fight, though. He's... Reyes, I think, it was kind of more of a consequence of Reyes being a little washed. And Span is just, like, he's weak in all the areas that Anthony Smith is strong. However, I would, in fact, laugh for 10,000 years if Ryan Span knocked Anthony Smith out flat. That would be hysterical. The main event, supposedly the Korean Zombie wanted to fight a top contender, but sometimes we have to step in and tell the people we love to, to stop hurting themselves and be realistic. Because this is one of those fights where I would like to just deliberately pull back from making any definitive commentary. It's one of those fights where either the thing that everybody expects is going to happen happens, or it's one of those fights where we're all going to be very surprised when I come in the pod next week. And TKZ, he always puts on bangers since coming back from military service. But Max looks just as good as he's always been. He's still dispensing of contenders left and right. And Korean Zombie is on the wrong side of 45... 35, sorry. The wrong side of 35. And coming off of one of those career-changing ass beatings from Alex Volkanovsky. And Zombie has been going around talking about his power and all that. And he does have power that Max doesn't. But, like, how do you land that power when you're taking 40 jabs around? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards what everyone expects to happen is going to happen in this one, and it's going to make me sad. All right, that's everything for this week. I'm not getting up at 5 a.m. or whatever to watch this card live. You people can all deal with that next week. Oh, ho, ho, we return to... Beautiful Paris is another surrogate main event and a baguette. So I will return next week to chat about anything at all interesting that happened from that. 
and to uh, make fun of Cyril Gunn next week. It's me, it's Joe, it's the MMA Frequency. Talk to you later.